Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Jamie Rosenberg, Assistant Editor for the American Journal of Managed Care. Next week on March 7th, AJMC will host its latest Institute for Value-Based Medicine in Dallas, Texas. During the Advancing Quality Oncology Care and the Evolving Value-Based Care Landscape meeting, experts will come together to offer unique perspectives on emerging topics in the field. Attendees will receive insights and case studies on implementing value-based payment models in oncology practices, engage and interact with leaders who are driving quality initiatives in oncology, learn best practices, and more. Among the speakers at the meeting are Dr. Ray Page and Barry Russo from the Center for Cancer and Blood Disorders. Dr. Page serves as the President and Director of Research at the Center, while Barry serves as the Chief Executive Officer. During this podcast, we sit down with the two of them to get some insight into their experiences with value-based oncology care, get their take on why meetings like IVBM are so important, and discuss some hot topics in value-based oncology care. So to begin, Dr. Page, can you walk through your experience with value-based oncology care at the Center for Cancer and Blood Disorders? How has your experience with value-based oncology changed over the years, and how is this impacting your patients? Well, for over the last decade, the mantra uh, has been to try to move payments from a fee-for-service to a value-based uh, payment, where, in essence, you're trying to replace you know, volumes of care with value-based care. And, uh, and our practice uh, became engaged in this a long time ago, and I think one of our first efforts that we had was actually getting engaged in 2007 with the VIA Oncology Treatment Pathways um, to get uh, all of our physicians on the same page of giving evidence-based uh, treatments for our patients. And then in 2009, we participated in Lee Newcomer's United Healthcare Episodes of Care Payment uh, program to where we, we looked at, at taking certain episodes of cancer and trying to to uh, give the the optimal value-based chemotherapy treatments for, for those patients. And then after that, Obamacare arrived, and as part of uh, the Affordable Care Act, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovations, CMMI, was formed. And, uh, and that was formed for us to, to explore new payment models and delivery of care. And from that, Barbara McEnany uh, uh, wrote a grant uh, to the CMMI and developed the Come Home Oncology Medical Home Program. And our practice was one of the, the seven practices who participated in that Come Home Program. And that was a, a program that, that definitely uh, involved substantial practice transformation uh, in our practice. And, and from there, we, we went further to develop uh, and in, implement such things as symptom management and triage pathways to help better manage our patients. And thereafter, after that, we began establishing other payment models uh, with other uh, insurances, and we did a, a shared savings model with Aetna. Uh, and then in, in 2015, MACRA uh, came into law, and that really solidified the move to payments with value-based incentives. And CMMI uh, developed the first alternative payment model within MACRA, and that's called the Oncology Care Model, or OCM. 
And our practice is one of about 197 practices that are currently participating in that value-based model. Uh, and, and that kind of leads us up to today to where uh, we're having meetings with practices to try to uh, establish best of care. Awesome. That was a great overview and kind of a comprehensive look up through the years um, how value-based oncology care has progressed. So, Barry, um, Dr. Page mentioned that this kind of started in 2007. Did you notice at the time that other practices or organizations were practicing value-based oncology care? What was the catalyst that got you guys to kind of start this journey? No, there, there really wasn't uh, any other example out there that we could find. We were kind of breaking ground with this process, and, and it was clear to us that uh, standard fee-for-service approach to reimbursement was not going to be um, a, a long-term solution, that it would not go on forever and ever and ever, and that there had to be some mechanism or methodology for looking at value and the total cost of care. And so uh, that's really just trying to look out over the landscape and see what was coming is what sparked us to uh, start looking at the uh, pathways and talking to United and getting involved uh, as much as it, in every opportunity we could find so we could learn more about how to make this kind of thing work inside of a community practice. Right. So now can each of you kind of just give a little background on why this type of meeting that we're going to have next week is so important? How can bring together different thought leaders help advance the quality of oncology care in the ever-evolving value-based care landscape? Dr. Page, if you want to start off. Sure. You know, I wanted to pull together this meeting um, in the North Texas area because, in general, when we're dealing with um, the current value-based models that are out there, uh, it's an extremely difficult uh, process to navigate. And all these programs are not easy at all. And they require substantial practice transformation and changes within the practice. And so practices really need to learn from each other's experiences. And so we need to have meetings like this where we can talk and network and learn best of practices uh, that we can carry forward in the future. Because if we don't figure some of these things out, there's going to be a lot of practices that are not going to survive in these new payment structures. Right. Barry, did you have anything to add to that? Sure. One, I want to go back to the, uh, sorry, the first question and just to add yeah. uh, to what Dr. Page said that starting January of 19, uh, we also have the Humana value-based arrangement. Uh, and we have a value-based arrangement with one of our local ACOs on Medicare Advantage business. And so we have national arrangements and now we have some local arrangements. So what was um, uh, something that was on a national pilot kind of mentality that was our Aetna and United deal uh, is really now getting down into uh, our local markets with local payers uh, at ACO level. So uh, I just wanted to, to add that to what Dr. Page said. In relation to this meeting, what I like about this meeting is that what we in oncology have to understand is that there are other specialties like primary care and orthopedics 
that have been very involved in, uh, in value-based and total cost of care analysis and, and, and have insights because of that that are translatable to oncology. And what I like about this meeting is that we're going to get some other specialties that have been involved in these things like in primary care, to speak and talk to us about uh, lessons learned and pearls of wisdom that we could use uh, and, and understand. Because and, and, uh, some of our specialties are probably three, four, five years ahead of us in their implementation of real value-based total cost of care, in some cases capitation-based uh, reimbursement. And I think uh, getting some lessons learned in this kind of forum for those of us in oncology and getting pearls of wisdom from those kinds of folks are, is going to be really helpful. Great. So, Dr. Page, something you mentioned was being able to share experiences and best practices. So, throughout your experience with value-based oncology care, what are some best practices that you've seen emerge? You know, I think one of the one of our top best of practices that I think has made an impact on our, on our patient care is the development and utilization of symptom management and triage pathways. This is a system where we have nurses uh, that, that do telephone triage uh, with our more complicated patients uh, and can get those appropriately triaged to, to case managers or other service lines that we have within our practice. And by identifying our most high-risk patients of having that, that may have difficulties with their cancer or their cancer therapy, by utilizing the pathways protocols that we have in place, I think it helps keep our patients healthier, and it really helps keep them out of the emergency rooms and out of the hospitals. And so I think all that translates into value-based care to where we are providing higher quality of care in our office at a lower cost by keeping them out of the hospital in the emergency room. Right. And so now on the other end of things, what are some areas that need more improvement? Are there any aspects that are kind of lagging behind others? You know, I think we still have a lot of work to do in end-of-life care. Um, uh, when, we, when we look at our, our measures and, uh, and how we, we manage our patients towards that, that realm, um, we, we can do a better job on, fo- on the focus on palliative care. And, uh, and as a result, we, we've worked uh, very hard over the last year to have uh, a designated palliative care board-certified specialist uh, and to expand that program so we can better address some of those I- issues centered around uh, the, the most appropriate best end-of-life care. Right. And so something we hear more often now are these patient-reported outcomes. I know the FDA is working to try and include them more in trials and drug evaluation. But in practice and care, where do these kind of outcomes fit into value-based oncology care? I think they're still evolving, but I also think that they're very important, and it will be increasingly a, a way of the future. One thing that we've explored over the last couple of years is to, is to use smartphone technology uh, to communicate with our patients uh, on a daily basis uh, to increase uh, cancer drug adherence and uh, also be able to stay on top of the, of the reported symptoms that they may be having with their drugs. So I think these kind of uh, elements are going to become increasingly more important uh, as, as we sort out what's relevant. 
And so a focus on this uh, during this upcoming meeting is going to be on data reporting under new quality requirements. Have you found that this is something physicians struggle with still? Is this a pain point for physicians um, under the oncology care model? Yeah, the, the physicians struggle greatly with this. You know, if you if you just read the literature, you know, the administrative burdens of reporting is actually the number one cause of physician burnout and job dissatisfaction. And it's kind of funny because doc- documentation is now kind of increasingly becoming more of a team sport. Um, <laughs> but, but it also adds to the complexity and the frustration of making sure that that, that all the levels of documentation are, are, are done appropriately. And it's a little frustrating also because many of the quality measures and process, are process measures that are out there, and, and few of them are outcomes measures, and very few of those measures have actually been validated to actually improve quality. Uh, so I think we still have a tremendous amount of work to do in this area of defining quality and, and getting good, appropriate uh, benchmarks that they can actually move the needle and make things better for our patients. Right. So Barry, during the meeting, you'll be speaking about using artificial intelligence to improve cancer care and patient outcomes. Can you walk through how artificial intelligence is currently being used? Is it used on the daily or is this more of something to expect in the future? Well, currently our practice is using, is piloting uh, artificial intelligence risk stratification model and our program with a, uh, it's through Cardinal Health uh, and a company called Javion. And um, we are basically using the artificial intelligence system to digest clinical information and socioeconomic information that they pull from uh, claims databases from the Census Bureau, from Amazon purchasing data, all of the above, and, and they connect socioeconomic information with the clinical information that comes out of our record and work on risk stratifying patients into high, medium, and low risk around seven vectors, mortality, morbidity, inpatient uh, propensity for inpatient utilization, propensity for ED utilization, propensity for uh, depression, uh, propensity for pain, those vectors um, help us understand patients that are uh, going to be more costly, uh, have more problems, uh, and could affect the overall value equation. And the machine also, as uh, it is going through its predictive modeling and and identifying patients, as um, the outcomes of those patients either concur with what the um, the system believes is going to happen or uh, they're outside of it, the system learns from that and updates its own modeling. So uh, we actually have some uh, boots on the ground experience with using our official intelligence system like this for risk certification. And we really, really uh, have uh, enjoyed having it and feel like it, it um, has the, the potential of really improving what we do from uh, overall case management and case review and and, uh, and and the overall care process, especially for those patients that are in high-risk categories. We're also evaluating the, uh, 
the need for artificial intelligence in our EMR systems at the point of care, because with all of the focus on personalized medicine and uh, all of the things associated with that, um, and as I mentioned, we've got arrangements with ACO, we have six ACOs in our market. All of them have different referral networks. All of them have different requirements, different drug formularies, and it is really becoming virtually impossible to manage how to uh, be successful in all these value-based arrangements that all have somewhat different um, uh, procedures and policies around them uh, in a retrospective mindset. We've got to have a system that can digest all this information and can have it available at the point of care so that the provider at the point of care has as much information as possible and can direct the care, understand that the patient's high risk, understand they're in a value-based arrangement, understand what the network is that we have to manage with, understand the personalized medicine components associated uh, that are specific to this patient in, this, in their disease and their stage, and the, the pathway system uh, that is best uh, based on all of these parameters, uh, the pathway uh, that is best uh, care for the patient, uh, and uh, and then also all of the potential insurance restrictions and things that may exist, all of that at the point of care so that the provider has as much information as possible about the uh, the pathway of care, the clinical pathway process, about the personalized medicine uh, components associated with the care, about also uh, even what have other uh, patients who are in, who had this disease? What have their, has their experience been under this pathway system or under this treatment regimen that you're about to invoke for this patient? What are the insurance issues? What are the network issues? What all of those pieces being right there at the point of care? Uh, in addition to what are the clinical trials that are applicable for this patient? Uh, and having a system that can help identify clinical trial matching uh, right there at the point of care. All of that is essential for us to be successful in a value-based environment. And I think, sort of my opinion, that we have got to get a, a good, solid artificial intelligence system that can digest and ingest all of these different variables and put it back out to the provider at the point. Right. So something you mentioned are these clinical pathways and personalized medicine. So with artificial intelligence, what kind of role does it have to play as we continue to get more targeted therapies and immunotherapies that work for a specific subpopulation of patients? It's not just a treatment that will work for every patient. So how can artificial intelligence be leveraged to better determine which patients will benefit from which therapies based on past experiences? Well, there's a statistic out there that that for oncologists to know all the most recent information and data that comes out every day in oncology, he or she would have to read 29 hours a day to ingest yeah. all of that. So computer, obviously, an artificial intelligence system can digest all of that stuff uh, in, in probably under three minutes. So uh, what artificial intelligence, the role artificial 
artificial intelligence plays in this process is that it does ingest and digest all of that information and all the things that are pertinent, all of the information that's out there in the marketplace today that's pertinent to the care of the patient you're taking care of, the molecular profile and the genetic um, uh, profile that's coming out uh, with CAR-T and all those kinds of things, and the clinical trial matching opportunity on top of also the, the specific clinical pathway, the treatment plan that's applicable for this patient based on the clinical data that's there. So the provider will always have the opportunity to agree to move forward with molecular testing specific to this patient or uh, agree to move forward on a specific pathway arrangement or change it. Ultimately, it's, a, it's the physician's decision. But putting all the information and all the variables in front of the physician uh, at the point of care and in nanoseconds or, you know, in a matter of, you know, a minute or less and letting him or her have all that at their fingertips and make good decisions based on all the data that's available to them from around the world, uh, I think is really where we have to be in a value-based environment. We have to optimize every opportunity to improve the care of the patient and improve the value equation. And I really do think artificial intelligence is a mechanism to get us there. And in addition to being able to kind of help decide what treatment a patient should be on, will these capabilities also be able to predict what side effects to expect, adverse events, to better manage these patients and hopefully mitigate these effects? Most definitely. Both because it'll digest all of that, or ingest, I should say, all of that uh, out of the package insert related to the drug. But also, as those potential symptom management pathways are part of the overall care regimen, it'll ingest that as well. Over time, because it's artificial intelligence and the brain learns, uh, it'll also learn some specific nuances uh, and trends and symptom management or symptom issues that are arising on certain regimens that may not have been recognized before overall, but the system can see it. It can see the trends. It can learn from uh, what is happening on there. So I, 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 I definitely think there's some opportunity with that. Yeah, it definitely seems like it could help fill this gap because we hear a lot of times clinical trials, the populations in these trials aren't always representative of everyone taking the drug. So there could be side effects or things that aren't picked up in the trial that these this real-world evidence, this artificial intelligence will be able to pick up and kind of fill these gaps that we don't have the answers to right now. So I think that's actually all the questions I had for you too. Do either of you have final thoughts on what else to expect at the meeting without giving too much away or anything else related to value-based oncology care? Dr. Page, if you want to start. Yeah, just to, to summarize, we're just very excited about uh, being able to have this meeting and to be able to, to share knowledge and interact with other people and learn from other people, uh, again, to translate that into best practices for our patients. Perfect. Well, thank you both so much. Sure. Thank you. To learn more about the advance in quality oncology care in the evolving value-based care landscape meeting and to register, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. You can get in touch with us by emailing info at AJMC.com or by following us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And finally, if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe. 
Thanks for joining us.